morning, my name is Grace Holtz and today's scripture reading will come from Romans 8.29 and Ephesians 1.4. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Hey Grace 242, take up and read. These were the words that Augustine of Hippo, a dejected professor of rhetoric, heard while sitting in a garden in the city of Milan. Augustine had spent much of his life chasing after the pleasures of this world, money, sex, women, esteem, intellect, and all of it had come up empty. It was in this spirit of emptiness that Augustine cried out to God in the garden that day and heard the voice of a child saying, take up and read. Augustine obeyed the voice and picked up a Bible and read the first thing that he turned to, which was Romans 13, verses 13 to 14, where Paul says, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness, or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. These words of Paul spoke directly to Augustine, who had indulged immorality in his search for meaning only to come up empty. And it was in that moment in the garden in the city of Milan in the year 386 that Augustine was saved. It was in that moment that Augustine became a believer in Jesus Christ. When it comes to salvation, there are two entities. First, you have God who does the saving, and then you have the individual who is being saved. And the question for the church throughout the ages has been, in the process of salvation, what belongs in God's column and what belongs in the individual being saved's column? What parts of the work of salvation belong to God and what parts of the work of salvation belong to the individuals who are being saved by God? And the trend has been over the years to take away from God's column and assign to the individual's column. I mean, as sinful human beings, we think pretty highly of ourselves. And so it would make sense that over the years, our sinful nature would prompt us to want to take away from God what is rightfully His and put it into our own column when it comes to the process of salvation. And one of the things that the reformers did was to restore a proper listing in these columns. They wanted to restore to God what belonged to Him. They wanted to take out of the individual column and place back in God's column the work of salvation. Flash forward now from the 4th century in Augustine to the 16th century and the reformers. In the 16th century, the Roman Catholics believed that it is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ through which people are saved. We wouldn't argue with that at all. However, at the same time that they believed that, Roman Catholics also believed that when a person is baptized, grace is infused into the soul, placing that person in a state of grace. But the person can commit mortal sins, or sins that are so egregious that the state of grace is removed from that person. 
So in order to regain the state of grace, the person must undergo the sacrament of penance, which includes going to confession like Martin Luther spent hours doing, and also performing good works of merit. So let's place this into columns. On God's side, you have the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and we'll even put grace in that column. But now look at all the stuff that the Roman Catholics place in the individual's column. Baptism, penance, confession, good works. About a century after the Reformation, a church council was held in the Netherlands from November of 1618 to May 1619, known as the Synod of Dort. The controversy surrounded two groups. One group, now known as Arminians, followed the theological positions of a man named Jacobus Arminius. The other group, now known as Calvinists, held the theological positions of John Calvin, whom we talked about in last week's message. One of the results of the Synod of Dort was that the Calvinists crafted five theological points that functioned as rebuttals to what the Arminians were saying. These five theological points have now become known as the five points of Calvinism, and they are remembered with the acrostic tulip. Here's a quick meme from that social media group that I mentioned last week that combined three of my loves, memes, reformed theology, and the Simpsons. I imagine Homer saying, mmm, tulips, and you can see Calvin in the bouquet there. Each one of these five points in the acrostic tulip is a move on the reformers' part to restore the works of salvation properly to God's column. Too many things had been stolen from God's column and placed in the column of the individual, and the reformers wanted to restore the attribution of the work of salvation to God. Now it would be unwise to try to cover all five points in today's message, and we don't have enough time to do so anyway, so I just want to name each one of these five points and put them in your consciousness for you. And you might fall off the train as we go through them, and that's okay, but just do your best. I just want to put them on your radar because we'll certainly be coming back to these things as we continue through the series. But these five points are part of what distinguishes us as people who are part of the Reformed theological tradition. So this acrostic tulip is a big distinction in what we believe as Reformers. The T in TULIP stands for total depravity. Total depravity means that we are totally and completely dead spiritually, and therefore completely and wholly unable to come to salvation or choose salvation under our own power. The U stands for unconditional election, meaning that God chooses those whom He would save unconditionally and not based upon any merit. The L stands for limited atonement, which means that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross atones for or pays for the sins of those whom God chooses to save. The I stands for irresistible grace, meaning that when God chooses someone for salvation and when the Holy Spirit begins to draw that person to God, that person cannot resist that drawing of the Holy Spirit. The last letter, the P, stands for perseverance of the saints, meaning that those whom God chooses for salvation will inevitably be saved. 
the work he began will be completed. You cannot lose your salvation. Now, I've probably just lost many of you, and if you feel like you just flew off the train in that last paragraph, don't worry, it's okay. I'm stopping the train, and I'm gonna give you a chance to get back on. So if you flew off, that's all right. Here's your chance to get back on. Let's look at Romans 8, verse 29, and we'll read this together. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Paul says in Romans 8.28, God knew his people in advance. Well, how far in advance? And the answer is really far in advance. So far that he does so before the foundation of the world itself. Look with me at one of my favorite passages. We'll read Ephesians 1 verse 4, where Paul says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Look at all these things that we're already listing in God's column. We're listing that he saves people through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus. We're listing that he chooses people in advance. And we're listing that he chooses people even before he made the world. Even before he created the earth itself, this globe itself, he chose those who would come to him in salvation. Now, do you see the enormous ramifications in what we're drawing out from scripture here? Do you see how this is God's work and how this belongs in God's column? How salvation is something that we want to attribute to God? And do you see how far back it goes? That it's not just about you choosing in a moment, it goes all the way back to before the world was created that God chose you to inherit salvation. Do you see how this is so much more than just some mental agreement with some sort of factual proposition? That salvation is so much more than just you intellectually agreeing with the fact that Jesus died and rose for your sins? Salvation is so much deeper and richer than that. We say that salvation is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And do you see how deep that relationship goes? Do you see how far back that relationship goes? That God acted to initiate this relationship with himself even before you were born? That's how deep the relationship goes. That before God placed the earth on its axis and set it rotating in its orbit, he said, I want Bill Verveldi to be one of my people. I want, insert your name, to know my son Jesus. I want, insert your name, to spend eternity with me. Salvation is so much more than just a decision that you made at summer camp one year. It goes back to before you were even born, before the earth was made. It goes so far back that long before you could make a decision at summer camp, God made a decision about you even before the foundation of the world. The theological word for God's choosing is election. In other words, out of all the people who would ever live on this globe throughout all of time, God elects or chooses those who would be saved. This is the U in TULIP, which stands for unconditional election. What unconditional election means is that God elects or chooses those who would be saved, and God makes his choices unconditionally. He elects solely according to his own good pleasure and not based upon anything the individual he elects does. See, what the Arminians were saying at the Synod of Dort 
was that God, before He made the world, peered into the future and saw all those who would come to salvation in Jesus, and then God chose those whom would believe in Jesus. For instance, God looked ahead to the fourth century and He saw Augustine in the Garden of Milan pick up Romans and believe in Jesus. Therefore, God chose Augustine. This is the position of the Arminians. But what the Calvinists said was, no, God doesn't look ahead to see what humans will choose and then make his elective choice based upon what humans choose. Rather, God chose everyone who would be saved unconditionally. It's purely God's choice, and his choice is not based upon anything that we do. God chooses according to his own good pleasure and not based on anything we do. Here's a quote from Eco's Essential Tenets, which is the theological document laying out the basis of what we believe. It says, God chooses us for himself in grace before the foundation of the world, not because of any merit on our part, but only because of his love and mercy. Do you see what the reformers are doing here? They're taking salvation and they're moving it out of the human column, and they're moving it rightfully into God's column. They're saying, from the foundation of the world, all the way until the new heavens and the new earth, salvation is something God does. Salvation is God's work. It's not based upon anything that we do. Last week we established that Reformed theology is about the sovereignty of God. Reformed theology makes a loud statement, and that statement is, high sovereignty of God. And this applies even to salvation that you didn't choose God, rather, God chose you. It was God who initiated a relationship with you even before he made the world. And God chooses you merely out of his grace and good pleasure and not based upon anything that you do. Salvation has nothing to do with what little merit we possess, if any merit at all. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Salvation is not a reward for anything that we've done. Therefore, we have nothing to boast about. Something I've noticed about our culture is that we like to achieve. Accomplishment is valued highly for us. We like accolades. We want to achieve in sports, we want to achieve in academics. We want to achieve intellectually. We want to achieve in our jobs. We want to achieve in our careers, in our vocations. We want to be well-decorated people who achieve things. When I was in high school, letter jackets were still something that kids wanted to wear. And if you could earn them, you would sew medals on the outside of your letter jacket. So when you walked, your medals would clink and it was almost a rite of passage or almost a status symbol if you clinked while you walked because that showed that you had medals. You literally wore your achievements on the outside of your body. But this is not how it works with salvation. Salvation is not a trophy in your case. It's a trophy in God's case. Salvation is not your personal achievement. It's the achievement of God's son, Jesus. Salvation is not based upon any of your merit. Salvation is based entirely upon the merit of God's own Son, Jesus Christ. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, 
and let's see what's going on before God laid the foundations of the world. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. I'll end with this. Here's how sovereign God is. And here's how glorious Jesus is. Ephesians 1.4 says that God chooses those who would inherit salvation before the foundations of the world. And 1 Peter 1 verse 20 says that God made this plan long before the world began. Here's where I'm going. At the same time that God chooses those who would inherit salvation, He is planning to save them through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus. Both his choosing and his plan to save them happen at the same time, which is before the foundations of the world. That as God chooses, insert your name, that as God chooses you before the foundations of the world, his son Jesus knows that he will die for you. At the same time God chooses you for salvation, his son Jesus is part of the plan to die and rise for you. And all of this drives us to our knees in front of the throne of our sovereign Lord in heaven and his risen ascended son. And there's only one thing that we can say because this is not based upon any merit and solely based upon God's good pleasure and grace. There's only one word that escapes our lips as we fall to our knees in front of him and that is, thank you, God. Thank you. I love you, Grace242. See you next time.